Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew and Meredith, how you going? Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. That's good. Um, we're here at the ASA event in Sydney. So if you hear some clickety clackety, it is the pots and pans and the cups and saucers that are going on in the background. And the, the fan boys and girls. The for, fan, for Owen, there may be, we've got some rope around the little podcast area and there may be some intruders in a few minutes because I, I don't know if you know this truth. Actually, I'm 99.99% confident that you do not know this. Um, tea and coffee starts in 15 minutes. <laughs> Oh, is that why I wasn't supposed to be running late? Yeah, you got your back to them. That's just nice. But I'm sure the uh, the back of you looks very good in those brand <laughs> spanking new pants, mate, and brand spanking new shoes. You can't see it. Drew's in a bit of a white and uh, cream ensemble here today. So, mate, we're going to be talking. We're going to be answering some questions uh, here on Two Cents. Uh, I mean, caught you off guard, but what do you what have you been working on? A lot this week, quite a few client meetings, catching up with a few fund managers and investments and, and walking through our golden rules again. Golden you, rules. You Give us another, do you have another one? Or? Uh, no, we've, we've cut one and cut okay. it back to nine. I think okay. it's important to, you know, Be there, there was some overlap between uh, the initial 10 that we put out there. But, um, you know, we met groups like BlackRock this week uh, who, who run the iShares products mm-hmm. um, and were discussing portfolio construction and how do you improve the you know, a lot of the, as you'd see, a lot of people that come in to see us have multiple mm. ETFs in their portfolio and not necessarily an overriding strategy. So mm. how do we help educate our clients on that? And what were you working on? What was I working on? Well, I've been here in Sydney since Monday and uh, the team joined us and basically the whole Melbourne office has come up and tripled the, the, <laughs> the population of, our, of the Sydney office across all the businesses. Um, but yeah, we've just been up here. We've been doing some podcasts, been chatting, caught up with uh, Will from uh, Will Culbert from Contact Asset Management yesterday. Talked about a few companies um, and just generally chatting to investors this week, which has been heaps of fun. Um, we released two podcasts this week. Actually, one of them's this week, and one's going live next week with the co-founders of Judo Bank. Yep, just like a one and a half, two billion dollar. Um, business bank it's, it's a it was one of only four a lot of people don't know this it's one of only four unicorns in Australia at least at the time which included Canva and I think Atlassian and there was some other company in there I can't remember the name of it it's the most popular for small businesses yeah. like ours oh yeah? yeah yeah do you use them we don't have any debt 
but we, whenever we've looked for any any debt for you know purchases or uh, assets, that it's always been referred to due to almost oh, right. straight away. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. So that's um, a really popular business uh, for small businesses, but it's also. I always think I think about like the the mid tiers, small to mid cap companies in Australia that could have like a ten year runway. I think this might be one of those businesses I need to do a bit more work on. Um, but yeah, it's it's grown in spite of the major banks. So and it's cost of capital. I think they seem to have that under control as well. Yeah, which funding. is good. They obviously do re- rely on a little bit of funding, but they've got a lot of term deposits now, basically out of nowhere. Um, the 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 wonderful thing is the founders are still involved. They own a bucket load of shares. And because they don't offer mortgages, Drew, they're not as exposed to many of the regulations around capital requirements. So it basically means that they don't have to hold as much capital and they can lend at higher rates because they're not hamstrung by all the regulation that comes with homes and mortgages. Yep. And so that's why their net interest margin could be 4 or 5% as yep. opposed to 2% for a retail bank. Yep. Uh, so that's a really interesting business. Go and pop it on your watch list. Uh, this week spoke to did the uh, Self Wealth Live program, which was really popular. Probably because I put a cheeky headline in there, which was $10,000 that I'd invest in this. And it was Sol Pattinson, for those of you that don't know. For a change. Yeah, for, for a change. Just mixing it up. Well, the thing is, when you pick a stock, you may as well pick the safe, one of the safest ones on the ASX in terms of business models. So um, that was that. Was that. And um, it, was, it tied in well because we shared that with the ASA community who are here today. And Rob Milner was on the stage just before. Uh, and so Todd Barlow walked past before. So... Sol Pattinson families in the house and why not? You uh, see the inflation data? No, I did not. We do not have the buzzer with us on the road. Or do we? <laughs> we may actually have the buzzer. Uh, Monique, can you press the, the buzzer button? I don't know if you know which one it is, but you don't know which one it is? Okay. Third down on the right. Third down on the right. Andrew Derrimuth knows what it is. Did it work? Monique's trying to reach down. We've got... Wait, wait. Three, two, one. There it is. How do I know that button's so well? <laughs> yeah. Well, here we go. Inflation data. Give it to us, Drew. We had US inflation data come out overnight. And okay. what do you think happened? Let's take a drink of water. I reckon it went up. Yeah. Down. Okay, down. So, <laughs> it went down. So I was a bit surprised at myself. Yeah, you looked at it like, oh, I just read this. I've also been for on the, the first road too, time. So it's, yeah. Yeah. it's a long few days. Yep. Uh, no, headline CPI fell below 5% for the first time in more than two years. So where, when the real onset of the pandemic supply chains hit. So it dropped to 4.9% in the US, uh, which was in line with the expectations. Mm. And it just continues to show it inflation trending down. And as we've talked about in the past, there seem to be... It's it's not gone as the US, uh, Australian inflation data showed that you know, I think the cost of flights had gone up something like thirty five percent in the last twelve months, but the the goods and a lot of the inflation pressure is disappearing. Well, your mate was presenting here today. He said the opposite. Yeah, oh, Chris Joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did. He did. well. The view. He's uh, usually right on everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. Well, I did see Guardians of the Galaxy this week, so change the topic. No, just kidding. Um, so <laughs> so uh, there is a view in this room and in the community here that some people think interest rates could go higher, Drew. Marginally. Marginally, you reckon? Yeah, I think- Are we I'm expanding your Pretty confident you're done. By the way, well, so you, you, can said, be wrong you said it just has to go down. It doesn't matter if it goes up before it goes down. But then are we also saying anywhere in the world? It's going to win the war, not, not every battle. I think that's the, that's the defensive saying that they okay. say. Is it Sun Tzu? Yeah, 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 yeah sounds good. Yeah. Sounds like philosophy. I mean, um, you're seeing it's inflation's generally peaking. And then we've had a few chats in the last few, few weeks as well about the impact that higher interest rates is actually having 
on inflation itself. Mm. Like if less people can afford to buy houses, more people are demanding rental properties and rents are going up. So it's kind of interest rates are inflationary of them of themselves. Speaking of, I actually did cameo on the Australian Property Podcast this week, our newest podcast, which is only 20,000 listeners in only five weeks, which is just unbelievable. Um, go and check it out three times a week. Uh, we, they do a two cents segment on that as well, but it's a two cents property segment ah. and it's on a Sunday. Oh. So if you do like a bit of a... Because oh, the on a Saturday, yeah. Yep, sure. And... Um, no, I had to step in for Pete Wardens, so the quality definitely went down this week. But um, but here are some of the things that happened and what I took away from it. So, property prices are now expected to go up in 2023. We are seeing dwelling approvals at the lowest level for two and a half years. So, no new houses. Um, the time on market for current listings is shortening. Yeah. We are seeing clearance rates at sh- like... Huge levels, like unprecedented for this time of year. But volume's quite low. Volume's quite low because yeah. supply is down. Yeah. So demand is rising despite rising interest rates, which is really interesting. And we also are seeing at the same time a kind of the there was a time when there was a huge difference between fixed rates and variable rates. Now that's starting to normalize because the three year forward interest rate is falling. Yeah. So implying that rates, yes, may fall. But what this actually means, Drew, is that property prices might not actually fall. For more. Yeah, yeah. more. I think more. So they're generally down at least 10 or 15%. So the, the, mm. the profit or the, call it the fat that came during the pandemic kind of lockdown and blowout afterwards, yeah. that's kind of disappeared. And, and you're, setting, you're setting up, I think there was something like 1,600 construction companies have gone bankrupt in the last mm. six months or nine months. Mm. And all those things are going to impact on supply, which should be positive, along with immigration, I think we talked about last week. Yeah, yeah, but huge immigration. Um, interestingly, uh, the Chris Bates, who's our, on the podcast with me over on the property podcast this week, he was talking about this idea of a profitless boom and what was coming. This was like two years ago. And sure enough, all of these builders are going bust. But it's not uncommon because... The profit margins, even on listed property developers, like, like return, return on invested capital is like four, five, six, seven, eight, if you're lucky. Yeah. So like, it doesn't take much to go wrong for that business to go wrong. And I think a lot of people underestimate that. They just think size equals good, which is not necessarily the case. Um, other thing that we should probably just mention, pay some lip service to, is the budget that came out this week. Um, there were a raft of different uh, initiatives. What I would say is it's very underwhelming. That would be my summary. Um, small business incentives. We've got the twenty thousand dollar instant asset write-off that's hanging on for it looks like another few months. Yep. So go out there and spend on what they're saying up to twenty grand asterisks. Uh, there were some incentives for energy bills and those types of things, mainly for low-income earners. They didn't make a change to the stage three tax cuts, but that is very polarizing. They are, yeah, however, Drew. Big political football, bit, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean. Oh. Yeah, let's not get too philosophical or political. But the change basically for stage three tax cuts was to go to increase the bracket from 180,000 to 200,000. Just remove bracket creep, which is when your income naturally increases with inflation to the point that you go into a higher tax rate. And the tax rate. And they were cutting away the um, 37% tax rate from the top of my head. Uh, So it's just simplifying that. And there's already been other changes that have come in that have helped low and middle income but this is the 
polarizing one because it helps people on higher incomes, obviously up to 200 grand. But it was already baked in. That was the other part, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's probably what I think. The other, the, the other thing that was an announced was a huge amount of spending for the Brisbane 2032 Olympics. Totally forgot that was happening <laughs> until the budget. Um, but basically they announced all this spending, billions of dollars, but it's coming in the future, not right now. Yeah. So we'll kick that can down the road. It's kind of focus on, you know, the people most hardest hit by the cost of increasing cost of living. Yeah. That's where the, most of the budget looked like it was going. They went ahead with the higher tax on balances on, in super over three million per person. Yes. Yep. Which isn't a cap. It's just an additional tax. It's a cap. Yeah. Yep. It is a cap. It is a, it's not a cap. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a cap. <laughs> Drew keeps saying this, so I keep bringing it up. Um, and then also... The, the, the there are a few other things like the looks like the stadium and Tassie's going ahead for the yeah. AFL fan, fans. The Launceston one's getting rebuilt. Hobart's getting one. Um, the federal government's chipping in, which is great news for the AFL fans down south. Um, and that's like there were some other takeaways like for healthcare. The NDIS is not really being touched right now. Um, so property investors can enjoy more. Um, in order to build more houses to fix the supply solution, property investors are going to get uh, increased depreciation rates for certain types of homes, like build to rent. Yeah. Um, and also the land tax that applies for creating land for build to rent um, is going to be reduced as well. So a few unlockers there. One of the things that is just all talk and it's probably smoke and mirrors is the plan by the government to get a million homes built which is just an outrageous number. It is like, of all the things you've ever heard in a budget, that is going to be the most ridiculous thing. To believe that, you'd have to believe that we're going to build 10% more homes than we've already built altogether <laughs> in 10 years yep. when the building industry is going bankrupt. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, we could go on. But um, it was a bit of a refreshing budget, though. Oh, I yeah, think back in black. Yeah, the last kind of five years or so, there's been this focus on everyone getting something. Like it was, what did you get or who won, who lost from the budget? But usually it should, you know, if under good policy, it should just be a tinkering. Yeah. You know, you're not yeah, ma making massive changes in policy of the budget. That's why parliamentarians are there to manage the, manage the uh, country during the year, not just in May. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other one is I just wanted to do, rather than a buy, hold, sell, I just wanted to see how Australian you are. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a series of phrases and you have to tell me what they mean. This is a test. Okay. With it. Do you know, if I was to say um, it's a pineapple, do you know what it is? A $50 note. Okay. What about if I say, oh, do you know what a Bushman's handkerchief is? <laughs> He's hand, I assume, or his wrist. Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, someone called it uh, blowing a lobster before. <laughs> no, bl not blowing a lobster. Blowing an oyster, <laughs> says Monique. Bl blowing an, an oyster where you put your finger over your nose and you... you <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay, do you know what uh, six or one half dozen the other means? Who cares? Damned if you do, damned if you uh, don't. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, I got one more for you. Um a few stubbies short of a six-pack. Not that bright. Yep. Good one. Okay, nailed it. Um, okay, so now we're going to get into your questions. Uh, as <laughs> I, I was going to bring up that we talk about Andrew Derrimuth a lot. Oh, yes, go and on. I, I'm not sure if everyone knows who where that, that came from. <laughs> okay, because it'll be Do relevant. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, so Andrew Derrimuth was brought into the show ago. because someone asked a question whose name was Andrew Derrimuth. And Drew asked the question... 
of... I made up the question. And it was a planted question on the podcast. So he yep. went into the podcast notes, which is where you ask the question, by the way. It just says, ask a question, select the Australian Investors podcast. And he said, there's a question from Andrew Derrimuth. And I, it took me about 25 minutes to figure out what was going on. And I think everyone listening knew what was going on. Even as I was reading it out, I just didn't know. Um, so Andrew Derrimuth is now, not only is he Drew's alter ego, he's also one of the leading Australian <laughs> macroeconomists. So uh, Bloomberg, uh, if you're listening, Wall Street Journal, he is available for comment. He's already been quoted in Forbes, they say. <laughs> Uh, under his other name, which is Drew Meredith. But um, he is appearing tomorrow morning at the Australian Shareholders Association uh, and he will be talking about all types of things. Do you know what you're talking Definitely. about tomorrow? Uh, transfer of wealth, oh, yeah. investment, building building and managing wealth over, over generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just our bread and butter, basically. Yeah. So anytime you hear um, a sensible answer, it comes from Drew Meredith. Anytime we're talking about other things, it comes from Andrew Derrimuth. <laughs> uh, but we are going to be answering your questions, speaking of serious things. And it's as always, our answers are limited to general financial advice only. If you need personalized financial advice, you should reach out to a financial planner, like say Drew here or whoever you trust, and get personalized financial advice that can go in, that can take into account your needs, goals, and objectives. We simply do not know who they are, which is why we also ask you for a funny question when you submit your question, uh, because it actually helps us anonymize it and remind everyone that it's not too serious. We're kind of talking about personal finance and investing, but you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the info. Uh, you can find out more in our financial services guide. As always, we will award each week's best questioner name an award, which is the Value Investor Program. It's 499 clams for nothing. Uh, you get the access to the course and all that. Uh, you just write into us if you are selected. So, Drew, the first uh, question comes from why play chess when you can play checkers? And they say... Solid name. It's very good. Looking at buying some lick and other long-term individual stocks, but I'm shopping around for a broker, currently use Superhero. If I'm looking to hold these stocks for yonks, should I be concerned about the lack of chess sponsorship and looking to others such as Stake or Perla for low cost or just pile into a Comsec account? <laughs> Question mark. We obviously can't tell you exactly what to do, by the way. But We've had 50 other options too. Yeah, those. yeah. Those are some of the popular ones in the community for sure. Um, I think, I, don't, I can't tell you what to do. Uh, and just for full disclosure, we have uh, long-term partnerships with both Perla and with Selfwealth uh, on our, the RAS podcast. So that's full disclosure. Um, I only use brokers with chess sponsorship. So that's where you have the individual number registered at the ASX basically tied to your shareholding. Yep. So that means if the broker goes bust, the ASX can still identify you as the shareholder. And, and then transfer on off between brokers yep. easily. Yeah, you can transfer in and out and uh, it's really easy. I'd go with that. It's only an extra few dollars a trade. Do it. Yeah. That's my... Agree completely. Every So when we're building... You know, safety and security is one of the biggest things when we're building portfolios for yeah. or managing money for retirees or anyone. So, yep. chess is the most secure and the the default in our view. Yeah, and it's a it's unique in Australia. People will say like, oh well, the overseas they don't have it and they they're fine, but you've got it in Australia, so why not have it? Um, the guard dog of Glasgow says, <laughs> "Hey guys." <laughs> Could you discuss the tax advantages slash disadvantages of establishing a discretionary trust utilizing a corporate trustee versus an individual trustee? Many thanks. Okay, so just quickly, this is going to uh, go down a road that few people will maybe know about, but it actually is a very good question because if you are looking to establish a different way to hold your shares or your insert business, insert whatever, this is something that you should consider. 
uh, and speak to a tax agent uh, and advisor on this. But Drew, maybe we can do a bit, a few pros and cons. Yeah, I mean, the trust in general, we know the, the purpose of trust. So they're discretionary. They allow you to distribute income between various beneficiaries. Yep. And uh, each every trust has to have a controller of that, and they call it the trustee. Mm-hmm. And as you're describing, you can either be an individual or multiple individuals as trustee of that trust who then make the decisions, or you can be, it can be a company. So you register a company with ASIC and and that the directors of that company then control the trust. Mm-hmm. I think the pros and cons generally, uh, I, I think it's very specific and, you know, lit legalese probably mm-hmm. but holding being a sole trustee of a trust that you're the primary beneficiary of doesn't give you the same level of asset protection benefits that you actually want that trust for so you usually it's probably stepping back if you're setting up a trust you're usually looking to protect those assets from being uh you know sued or lost in a divorce or something like that yep um and uh, the same time yeah so essentially if they're held in your name you're the only beneficiary and you're the trustee at the same time, it's hard to say you don't control them. It's mm-hmm. kind of all about control mm-hmm. and who's able to distribute that money. Whereas a company, uh, even if you're the sole director of that company, it's a completely separate entity with its own ownership structure. Yep. That's kind of the, the slight benefit that it provides. And I know that some people have used those companies as corporate beneficiaries as well, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's worth expanding on too. Yeah, sure, I think so. Yep. <laughs> Go for it. So corporate beneficiaries, you probably heard about investment companies before. Yep. Similar to, you probably say it's similar to a listed investment company. So mm-hmm. it's just PTY, LTD, mm-hmm. as you'd know. And that entity benefits from being taxed at company tax rates rather than at your own marginal tax rate. So in, in many instances, you would have all your in, a series of investments in a discretionary trust if your income was above the 37% threshold or above the, if your marginal tax rate was above the Above thirty percent, or the company tax rate slightly lower. Yep. Someone called us out on that last time. Yes. It used to be thirty percent base rate entities. <laughs> if you're a small business, it's lower. Yep. And you're better off. You can be better off in the short term distributing money to that company and paying tax within the company. Yep. But it's only a stalling tactic for so, tax. So basically, you can use a tax just to split income and go in different directions. Yeah. You can send that to your partner. You can send it to yourself. You can send it to another company. You can send it to another trust. Which send it on whatever. Yep. Um, so that's why people use them. Uh, people use them for to, to hold business assets as well, as you said, Drew. Because if if it's not in an individual, like if the corporate trustee of a trust holds and takes control of a business then it's an extra d- degree of separation from an individual who might have a home and a mortgage, which could, in the eyes of the court, be fair game. Yeah. So they try and avoid that. Exactly. Um, Just distinguishes ownership yep. to a completely separate entity. Yeah, and you can probably be thinking it's a few grand a year to set up one of these uh, and have it maintained and tax returns and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I have one and yep. uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, for many business owners, but also for many uh, investors as well. So Wayne Kerr, spelled K-E-R-R, says, if you have enough liquidity to purchase a brand new Ferrari, Drew, which is probably on brand with you, to be honest. No, not at all. <laughs> but do you like luxury goods? No. no. I, th- I thought you were Australia's expert on luxury items, but that's okay. ASX expert on the one. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah of course. Goods. Yeah, yeah. If you have enough liquidity to purchase a brand new Ferrari, but... The capital allocation to the luxury good is essentially an opportunity (laughs) as you could be investing in potentially lucrative deals in the private equity space or even equities. Would you take out a loan instead for the Ferrari 
and hope to get a better return than the interest rate payable. So I think the question is effectively, uh, I was trying to reconcile what this is. It's complex. Yeah, but I think the question is, imagine you have say half a million dollars and you are given a choice. You have to buy the Ferrari or you can take out a loan and use that money for something else. I think that's what it is. To pre-order on a Ferrari, because a lot of the time you can buy a Ferrari and sell it. <laughs> if you're allowed to sell it. Yeah, true. Uh, after it is actually released for a profit, so. Well, that's uh, what I'm thinking. Yeah. So what would you do? Uh, I'd never spend that. I'm, I, don't, I don't like cars, I'm probably a bad example. I had the same car for about 15 years, so. But if I've forced you. If you force me? That's your choice. Your choice is to- Leverage buy, into equities. Buy, oh, you would? So you wouldn't yeah. buy the Ferrari in cash, you'd buy it in debt and then use the money in, uh, in, in equities and hope the return covers the interest. Is the debt secured by the equities or the car? I don't know the answer to this question. Yeah. But what I, th- I can say is, I think I would buy- Go the, the equities. Yeah, go the equities. I'm just not a car person. Then uh, my uh, family's been involved with cars forever. And you find that cars go in and out of style yep. and taste, and yep. they can be incredibly popular and then not popular, like any liquid luxury asset. Um, David Dicker, co-founder, CEO of um, Dicker Data on the ASX, DDR is the ticker symbol for those of you playing along at home. He's the world, I think he's the world's fifth biggest collector of Ferraris, Drew. So there is a market to be made for this. If you are in the market and you think, well, I need to offload this guy, maybe David would buy it from you. I'm catching up with him next week for a webinar with uh, Naos Asset Management. I'm chatting to David, which will be a load of fun. You're going to buy, hold, sell? I'm going to buy, hold, sell him on a Ferrari. <laughs> um, okay, so the next question comes from Hold Forever Zip is the only ex- exemption. This is a hard question. I wasn't sure if we should tackle this This is an Andrew Derrimuth question. This is an Andrew Derrimuth. Okay, just slip into the mode. So with China trying to rival the US dollar, deals with India, France, and Brazil in one, what's the implications on the stock market? I think you're looking at quite a short-term trend here that know these individual deals. But what you're talking about is, it seems to be a popular topic that comes up every two or three years, which is everyone going off the US dollar. But every time, it's still the most powerful consumer. It may not be the biggest economy forever, but it's hard to see power and the, the sole main currency of the world going to China or to the East. Yeah. I think it's always going to remain with the US. I'd Ooh. say more. This is how Andrew Derriman's talking. Okay, yeah, 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 go for it. I'd say there's more talk around the outlook for the US dollar based on the different macro factors that are happening, particularly interest rates. So. Who, who starts cutting interest rates first? And the US dollars had the biggest bull run for the last three or four years. That's why no one from Australia wants to go to the US at the moment mm-hmm. uh, because the, the, US, the US dollar has been so strong. So I think that currency can have a massive impact. So CSL, for example, 98% of its, of its profit and income comes from overseas. That means if the uh, US dollar starts to weaken, the, you know, the, the earnings are worth less in Australia. Yeah. So I'd be more worried about the mid medium-term direction of the US dollar and that impact where global equities, Australian companies that are facing overseas can have a, you know, see a significant headwind. Yeah, I think it's a watch this space. I'm not too worried about it, to be honest, but um, just a watch this space. Uh, we're, we've been in a very unusual period the last few years. So maybe the one does become the, the second you know, I guess, currency of choice. Um, But it's still, for the most part, from everything that I know, uh, it's still the safe haven asset is that greenback US dollar. So the next question comes from Tax Walker, which is a play on uh, the Adelaide Crows center half forward, I might say. 
So Tax Walker says, thanks for the recommendation of, quote, the little book of common sense investing, end quote. Great listen via Audible. What are some of the Australian index funds we can look into? Is that like VAS or is it that more an ETF? A little confused here. What are the tax implications of investing in index funds? Okay, I'll be real quick with this one. Great, like uh, initial or starter question. So there are multiple ETFs that are index funds. So the index fund is inside of the ETF. Um, they're not two different things. They are the same thing. Yeah. However, not all ETFs are index funds. I think that's the key thing that you should know as a very beginner. So just some things that you can put on your watch list and I'll read off the ticker symbols. These are the codes you can put in your brokerage account or your watch list app. VHY, MVW, IVV and VBND. They cover different asset classes, meaning they cover different parts of the market in different ways. Um, but they're a good starting point if you want to go and research and learn about those index fund ETFs. Um, in terms of tax, Drew? I go to the in the ASX listed investment product list. Yep. It has every single one in there. Yep. Uh, in terms of tax, it's a it's a wrapper and you essentially you own all those underlying stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, any capital gains or income is distributed from that exchange trade fund every year. Sometimes it's quarterly, sometimes it's once, and that's fully taxable. Yep. With whatever entity you're in. Yep. When you are invested in ETF or index fund for the first time, you will receive uh, what's called an annual member tax member statement. I think it's called uh, uh, that comes in July, August. Typically, you receive that via email. Um, check with your share registry, like computer share, all that. Uh, and basically, what you get is it breaks down all of the different components of your income, whether you have got franking credits, uh, you know, income, traditional income, overseas income capital gains and yep. you just hand that to your accountant and Bob's your uncle. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So, we've got a few more questions here, Drew. We'll cut through a couple of them. That's the crowd trying to come and get your autographs. Yeah, yeah they're trying to come over <laughs> here and uh, they're, they're looking at us. So I think they're trying to get a stamp from me that I've got in my hand. Uh, they, need to, they need to collect a stamp from our stall. To get a prize. To get a prize. So Wait, do you have the Waddles? <laughs> I don't have a Waddles uh, thing on me, but um, you probably someone's probably taken that and then stamped everything. So Drew's little Waddle stand is currently unattended because he's over here recording a podcast, so he's probably gone now. Okay, so uh, Morgan How's That says, G'day, gents. I'm in the process of moving from CNC markets to self-wealth or stake. I would love to know if you think purchasing the premium options for stake or self-wealth that are valued around $20 each per month is worth compared to purchasing the Morningstar Investor subscription of $56 a month. I love the fundamental analysis and we'll miss this option with CMC Markets. I am switching brokers for greater tax benefits in our personal situation. Thanks, lads. Uh, okay, so quickly, I don't know how switching brokers would necessarily have tax benefits. Um, so maybe just check with your accountant there. Uh, secondly, what I would say is um, there's a lot of places to get research on the internet these days. And personally, I would use Morningstar. Um, I like Morningstar research. Yeah. And if you listen to the episode that we did with Morningstar a few months ago with Mark LaMonica, it was about moats. In that episode, there's a link in the, in the podcast description. And I think it gets you something like 45% off. Yeah. So use it. Use the coupon code. We use Morningstar in our in Waddle Partners as well. Yeah, I think it's always important that this is only one opinion, and yep. same as every broker report, there there are only one Absolutely. opinion and one view on a stock or a company. So it's a starting point for you then to you do you, what do they say in crypto world? D O Y R. Yeah, uh, D Y O R. Damn, got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to get me in trouble too. I thought you were a crypto lawyer. What's going on here? Uh, <laughs> that was Andrew Dimmer. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Send the hate mail to him. <laughs> Go to see your uh, model partners. But we uh, use multiple uh, and it's just getting as much information. And I think the, the thing with all these researchers is they have their own tendencies. Yep. So Morningstar might tilt more towards value and they're looking for fundamental value where certain companies are growth and they wouldn't have the same understanding of that sector. So you want a multiple sources as much as you can allocate towards that. And it should be tax deductible. Usually, yeah. If yeah, you're making yeah. a tax, if you've, you've got taxable income coming from the research, yeah. Um, there's an ATO forum on that as well, by the way, on the website. Um, yeah, I, I rate the Morningstar research. I would sign up at morningstar.com and uh, use the coupon code. There is a link in that podcast episode. So um, the next question comes from ComBank: Is Peter lynching me with these rates? <laughs> That's a good name. Sticking with PC. In an all ETF portfolio that just tracks indices, is it possible to cover all sectors in most countries slash regions in reasonably even proportion? If you were to follow five indices to achieve this, what would they be? I don't think there is an answer to this. And when you say even proportion, I think you might mean the five biggest indices. Can we just put 20% 20%, in each? I don't know of one that does that. You'd have to build it. Get the building So you get EFA, is it EA, Europe, Asia, Far East? You yep. get emerging markets, which isn't just Asia. It's a lot of China, but it goes into South America and Latin America. You get North US, US yeah. total market. You get Australia if you wanted that as well. Yeah. You um, can build it. There's definitely, I mean, there's how many products? ETF products now? There's, there's fewer ETF, there's 230, but there's over 300 ETF products, including active. Yeah. So you as easily, and all indexes too, but then it's a question of one of our golden rules. What's that? Beta selection or beta selection. So what you're saying here is you're trying to get the, the, the market return from that country or region. We call that beta. And you're making pretty big bets on essentially Europe yep. and Asia if you're doing an equal weighted portfolio in that regard. Do you say beta or beta? beta. I got caught on this this week too. Go, go for it. So I said zebras. Okay. Zebra, go on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, it was quite a tough day in the office when I said yeah, zebra. I can imagine. Zebra, zebra. What about um, data or data? Data. Data. And do you say plant or plant? Plant. Okay. Seems like zebra's palm- just a standard. Palmer or palmy? Palmer. Come on. Oh, yeah, we're from Victoria, I forgot. Um, so zebra just seems to me, I say it the opposite way for some reason. Isn't it funny how you go around um, the country and there's totally different slang words? I think, like, they don't know what muzzer means in Sydney. <laughs> All right. Which, you know, that's I didn't realise that was a Victorian thing. So, I mean, there's a lot of urban slang, I guess, that gets around the country. No offence to anyone about uh, no z- zebras. and uh, zebras. <laughs> zebras. I'll practice. I'm sorry. <laughs> when we get to the ASA uh, event, we just get a bit rowdy up here. Um, so, speaking of, uh, Lick My ETF says... Say an ASX company generates 50% of its earnings in Australia and pays income tax accordingly, the default assumption is that the company could only sustain a partially frank dividend over the long term. However, say the company maintains a 50% payout ratio. Due to the low payout ratio, could the company maintain a sufficient franking balance to sustain a fully frank dividend long term? It's a hard it, question. It's old analyst. This uh, is old. This yeah. is old. I'll just reach back. Do you have an alter ego? Yeah, uh, analyst. So um, Pask. So you can actually find out the franking credit balance, and typically it's in the company accounts, or you can just ask the company. Um, and so a company still generates franking credits because they'll still pay tax in Australia. It's just whether or not they have enough tax 
to cover the full dividend. Yeah. And so typically you don't see that. But there is a potential that they do pay a special dividend or something like this that does have the franking credits attached. Like some companies in Australia have tens of millions of dollars of franking credits that they probably never use. I'd be more worried about the earning, like what's going to happen with the earnings in the future Oh yeah. than the payout rate. Like a 50% payout ratio, you shouldn't have a problem if, yeah. if your earnings are stable. Yeah. If you think you're only paying out 25% of your, your profits, you should better keep it yeah. strongly franked. Absolutely. I think you're right, Drew. I think the um, the 50% payout ratio is the key thing to watch. Don't worry so much about franking credits, yep. whether they're fully or partially franked. At the end of the day, Macquarie's got a partially franked dividend. CSL's got a partially, partially franked dividend. Franked, yeah. yeah, and these are businesses that have monstered the market over the long term, paid more attention to the business itself. All right, Drew, I reckon we've got, a couple t- we've got a time for a couple more questions. I might um, jump right down we're not compounding a compound face. I always okay. love it. Oh, you love a Mac- compound face? Okay. I just love the name. I didn't even look at the okay. question. Compounding compound face says, Hi, <laughs> I've been looking at adding some diversity to of my portfolio by adding one or two managed funds for global equities and small caps. I've been looking at the likes of the listed ETFs from Intelligent Investor, Firetrail, Nanook New World Fund, etc. However, I can see on ComSec that the daily volume of these funds is extremely low, often only two or three trades per day. Is this something I should be concerned about? While I'm looking at them as long-term investments, could this lack of liquidity be an issue if I ever want to sell? If you want to sell a listed managed fund, do you need a buyer on the other side? And this is a tough question. <laughs> okay. I shouldn't, but I understand. You, you, you we go both ahead. know how this one works. Yeah, no, you go. So each of these, to be listed an ETMF, has to have a market maker who will sit on the other side of the trade to buy and essentially either cancel or on trade those units. Yep. So the liquidity you see isn't the actual liquidity in that ETF. Yep. So basically the regulation is extremely high of these funds being on the ASX and the ASX requires that they are liquid, which means that even though it might only look like there's one or two things going through, what you really need to be mindful of is that they're regulated and it'll be fine if you click buy or sell because there's there's an organization in between that makes sure that your trade goes through. and so that's a that's a that's a really common question that we get about ETFs, but at least ETFs trade a bit more frequently than two to three times than the M funds that you're talking about. Okay, so um, this is a question that we've probably answered a few times, but I think it deserves a, 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 a bit of lip service, Drew. Which is two two chugga chugga big red portfolio says, "Hey guys, I know there have been plenty of questions about offset, but I have another to round things out. Sorry, say upon refinancing." You take out an additional 20K and dump it in the offset for general financial flexibility, dot, dot, dot. Then decide to invest it in income-producing shares. Is the interest deductible as you're saving less on interest? Is it that a redraw would be deductible and an offset wouldn't be? The redraw is seen as a separate loan in the eyes of the taxman, whereas an offset preserves the original loan, right? Does a original intention matter? Generally, of course. <laughs> uh, or any work I've done with accountants is just basically having proof and evidence of where what, where the funds came from and yep. where they were used and ensuring that that remains the case and justifying that deductibility. Yeah, But I'd suggest... No, with an offset. Yeah, pulling it from an offset account would not be tax deductible. I can't, ima- I can't imagine. That would be very slim. Yeah. Like the nexus, as an accountant would say, between... Like the, the funds and the use of funds and the income is pretty slim. We've had a loan that was fully offset 
and hadn't been drawn and the first time you drew it was to invest. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I would just say speak to your accountant because they might even take out an entirely separate line of credit, um, which may be a, a safer way um, because you don't want to make this decision based on kind of quasi-belief that you could draw up a fake kind of like loan to yourself and then invest that money and I wouldn't do it. I'd get it proper advice and structure it correctly with a mortgage broker or with an um, accountant and or. Okay. Well, we've got, we're almost through the, all the questions that we might as well just finish off these three. So going ballistic with Penny Penja, with Penny Benjamin. What a question. <laughs> Dot points instead of spaces. Uh, when looking at an international exposure, how should factor ETF such as Moat, VLUE or Qual, Q-U-A-L, be considered? Part of a total international call or part of a satellite position? I go for it. I see these tend to be. I mean, there's a just. You could probably make a case for V V or value exposure, not just V L E V L U E, being part of your call. Yep. But whenever we build portfolios, we want to start with a pure benchmark. So get the ASX 200, and yep. then understand what the what what you're talking about here is kind of style or or factor that you're exposed to. So the ASX has a lot of financials and uh, materials companies, which are cyclical and thus generally fall into that value camp. Yep. So that's kind of where you'd think, well, if I want to add more value through something like this, that would be a satellite because I've already quite strong value in my core. But I think if it's in high quality uh, core, you'd, you'd make a case for a small part of your core. But we tend to focus on getting the benchmark exposure first and then looking for... Uh, more bang for your buck in your satellite. More and that's active where, share, more targeted approach. Yeah, outside. more different to the index. Yeah, that's where my views kind of shifted a little bit over the years with these ETFs in particular. I think the Moat ETF is quite different to the others, by the way. The Moat ETF combines active research from Morningstar uh, into a, approximately 40 to 50 stock portfolio, whereas the Qual ETF is 300 stocks um, from the global market quality focus. And VLUE is 250 companies. Um, and they get a value score. So what I would say is that I could see factor ETFs being part of a core portfolio in a small part, as Drew says, but only if the fee is low. The average fee for an ETF in Australia is 0.49% or 49 basis points if you're in finance. Um, Real core you can get under 15, yeah, sometimes so you under can 10. Yeah, you can build a full core portfolio for maximum 20 basis points, 0.2% in fees. So anytime you step outside of that now, you've got to consider, is this a core or is this a satellite? If you you started talking to me about a 1% fund, whatever it is, I would automatically start thinking satellite just simply because it's got higher fees. Yeah. Um, Unless it's it's something about it, but that would be a general rule of thumb. Now, these funds don't charge anywhere near that, around 40, 50 basis points across them. I could see Qual being part of a core, but probably Moat, you'd have lesser. to have a less yeah. so because it's yeah. more concentrated. And more active, yeah, And more sector weightings, I think. Yeah. And it's probably evidence that US a lot of people build portfolios different ways. So there's a lot of people that will have a fully active core and a lot of people will have a fully passive core. Uh, because we work with retirees, we think you blend them both. Yep. Um, and then because people tend to be fee conscious, we tend to stick, as you're saying, to the super index tracking core as a big part of the portfolio. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so, yeah, for the most part, um, this is a great question, but I think it's a satellite from us uh, rather than a core. But 
I mean, if someone thinks that they should be in there, I mean, there's worse decisions I've seen made in portfolio construction, that's for sure. Uh, okay, so I've got two more questions. I'll read the last question first, Drew, which comes from Rita Hollick, who says, diversification ended in diversification. That's all they said. So that's a great question. Thank you very much for that. We'll see you next week. Uh, and then the extra one, the last question was, I wrote a joke about a sausage. Uh, it's an absolute banger. They said, I'm a team member of Woolies and am part of a long-term share plan where I get shares given to me and pending KPIs are met. Um, they, they vest and they become my securities. Whilst I love getting the shred and the follow-on dividends, I think the shares, that the shares bring me. What a crack. Kills everyone. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're talking about shredding a lot. I don't know. I have always wondered why we don't reinvest the cash into shares, uh, stores rather than pay out the cash to shareholders. Interested in your thoughts on dividend payouts versus business reinvestment. Doesn't have to be Woolies related. Um, okay, so Drew's just giving me the finger. I don't know what that means, but it's like pointing at me rather than the middle finger. Just found the cracker. Found the cracker. Okay. I don't know. It's going to have to beat that banger from the sausage man. Um, so, yes, good question. So, this is a, a co concept called capital allocation. Uh, and at the end of the day, what happens is a management team and a board of directors have to make a choice. In Australia in particular, you'll notice that companies have a, I guess they take fancy to dividend payments because they have the tax benefit of franking credits, meaning that they can recoup some of the tax that they pay to the ATO and give that back to the shareholders effectively. So that's a preference for dividends. Um, at the end of the day, a company typically should only pay dividends when it can't reinvest its capital, like its profits, back into the business at higher rates and higher rates in and theory. higher rates in yep. theory. Some companies do both. Like you look at, say, something like ARB, which is a ball bar and four by four accessories business, tremendous track record of doing both. It's a growth stock while it's also an income payer. Um, they're quite rare. Um, some companies don't have huge capital requirements for shareholders, like, say, Dicket Data, which we mentioned, which is an IT um, logistics business and um, distribution business here in Australia. Uh, heaps of debt, but doesn't need a lot of the cash in the bank to maintain its business. So what I would say around this one is that it depends. <laughs> Credit to you. <laughs> it's unprecedented that I use that. It Let's depends. unpack this. <laughs> Let's unpack it now. Um, and so at the end of the day, I think this is a good use of Woolworths' funds because it's a mature business. It makes most of franking credits. It's a good one for portfolios. <laughs> That's what I got. I mean, one of the issues that you have with being on the ASX for a lot of companies is that shareholders and analysts and everyone in the market wants you to constantly grow, 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 grow. grow, 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 grow. But growing for Woolworths, every time they try and buy something now, they get the competition committee, you know, saying you can't buy that. You've got too much control over logistics. So it becomes difficult to keep growing without blowing up your core business, I think is the key. Yep. And when that gets to the point, that's when it's better off sending that money to um, to shareholders. Yep. And I mean, there's a role for both businesses in portfolios. High dividends because mm. they can't grow and then reinvesting it all. It's, it's Yeah, it doesn't have to be one end or the other. So Drew, you've that, got a smirk on your face. That, there too, I was just thinking of all the questions, the question and names that we've got this week. There's some bloody great ones out there. I tell you what, we... um. We have to pick one before we get to your wonderful joke, Andrew. Um, we have to pick one, and we've got some great question and names this week. Like this is the, this is the typical like Wayne curse, spelt with K and double R. <laughs> of course, um, there was a play on words here with "hold forever zip" is the only ex exception. Tax Walker, Morgan, how's that? Um, some great ones. Combank is Peter lynching me with these rates. Lick my ETF. Compoundy McCompound face. 
Toot Toot Chugga Chugga Big Red Portfolio, which is a very good one. Uh, going Ballistic with Penny Benjamin. I wrote a joke about a sausage. It's an absolute banger. <laughs> As a dad joke fan, I have to take it. You have to take banger? Yeah, yeah it's an absolute All right, banger. banger. If, if you wrote into us and you, you had the question name, I wrote a joke about a sausage. It's an absolute banger. And you were a team member at Woolies. We've probably identified who you are right now. Um, but if you, <laughs> if you wrote that question, you have won the Value Investor Program. All you've got to do is get in contact with me or us, and uh, we will send you a coupon code to use for the Value Investor Program. It teaches you everything I think you need to know about value investing in Australia or globally, and you can get access to all of my resources in the process. Drew, Andrew Derrimuth, uh, people can get in contact with you for financial advice at Waddle Partners. There is a link in the show notes if you want financial planning advice, particularly if you're a retiree, near retiree. Um, get in contact with Drew, Jamie, Roshana, or the team at Waddle Partners. Follow that link, answer some questions, and they'll get in contact. Maybe just to take us off into the distance, right off into the sunset. The sun is going down here at the ASA event in Sydney. Um, tell us a joke, would you, Drew? I couldn't find one about tan pants, so I'm going to go with geography. Okay. Geography teacher asked if I could name a country with no R in it. I said, no way. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. I know. That's, That's actually that pretty good. good. I hadn't heard that one. That's actually yeah. pretty good. That's why you gave me it's the finger. Yeah. Well, mate, that was heaps of fun. We were a bit rowdy. Uh, go and check out the Judo Bank podcast. That would be my shout out for this week. I think those are great. They come across from the business podcast over here onto the investors podcast. Both Wednesdays, you'll get them. Um, learn if you're a small business owner want to check out judo or if you already have let me know what you think about them I've heard a lot of good stuff and I'm considering switching over so Drew heaps of fun thanks for joining me it's good to see you For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.